Welcome to the RPG Design Panelcast. This podcast presents the very best recorded panels and seminars with regards to tabletop game design. This episode has been made possible thanks to the excellent folks behind Breakout Con 2017 in Toronto, Ontario. Episode 113, Art in Games. Recorded at BreakoutCon 2017. Presented by Anna Kreider, Emily Griggs, Rachel Kahn, and moderated by Corey Reed. Yeah, sure. Okay. Uh, thanks everybody for coming. This is the Art and Gaming Panel. Uh, we'll be discussing the process of practice of getting art for games from kind of both sides of the fence as an artist and as a game publisher. Uh, I'm Corey, I'm the moderator. I'm going to ask uh, Rachel and Emily and Anna to all introduce themselves. And then uh, we're going to talk a little bit about, first of all, just about the process by which art ends up in games. And then we have some questions and some further discussion about that. If, discussion, if questions come up for you, what I'll ask you to do, actually, with so few people, we can probably just, if people have questions, they can just put their hands up and we'll just bring it right into the conversation. So I, I have a more complicated thing I use for more crowded rooms, but with a uh, small number of folks, I just encourage you to uh, you know, raise a hand and I'll uh, pull you into the conversation. If nobody objects? No. Great. So we'll start on my left here with Rachel. Uh, can you introduce yourself? So my name is Rachel Kahn. I am an illustrator uh, in tabletop games. I've been doing that, I think I'm in my sixth year of doing that. And uh, so I've had the chance to work on games with Call of of Cthulhu, um, to work with Onyx Path, uh, but also to work with people who are self-publishing, doing their first game, doing their uh, sweet darling child that they finally got on Kickstarter. Um, And then also I myself draw comics and uh, create art as a self-published creator. So I've had a little bit of experience on the make it into a book and get it into people's hands side as well. And there's something on the table in front of you, a mysterious object. Yes, I was, I was going to I was gonna maybe make paper airplanes and some of people. I have another comic project I'm finally launching that I am shamelessly promoting using wonderful free postcards for anybody who wants one. Which also we like good art pieces. Thanks. <laughs> Just go on the wall. Um, yeah. My name's Emily Griggs. I run a company called Speed Ingenuity. I'm a freelance author and illustrator. So I, des- <laughs> I design games and I've done some self-publishing thing as well as freelancing for some companies as a writer. And I've also um, drawn things. I sell through Etsy my own illustrations and I've done some illustration work as a freelance illustrator for tabletops as well. I also do a comic, though, I think on a smaller scale than you. Watch out, you're my girl. Uh, I can work with that, yeah. Um, So I've also had a little bit of experience in the Kickstarter process and going from digital files to finished thing on a little bitty scale. Um, My name is Anna Kreider. Um, I am a game designer and uh, illustrator, although I'm not doing as much illustrating since I've had my daughter since parenting is time-consuming. Um, so I've illustrated for a number of indie tabletop games like Sons of Liberty, uh, Poisoned, a um, um, couple other one-offs. I did something for Frederick <coughs> Jansen for a LARP that he did 
Um, I've also done illustration for my own games, uh, and I'm actually running a Kickstarter right now, so that we're hiring art from someone else. So um, I definitely have experience from both ends of that process as well. Great. Thank you. So uh, why don't we just, I'm going to kind of talk about this a little bit before we uh, got here, but we thought we'd talk a little bit about the process of uh, either having a game and getting art, how do you approach an artist, what what works, what doesn't work, I'll just throw that to the table. Well, let's pass it on to Anna, because sure. she has yeah. a game and got art. Um, so, uh, I mean... It, it definitely helps if you're already part of a community, knowing like who's out there doing what sorts of art um, and um, that sort of thing. So, our, but then sometimes you have like um, something really specific in mind, and then it gets more challenging. Like um, the game that I have on Kickstarter um, is called The Watch, and it is very like dark, low fantasy, gritty kind of thing. And I wanted something really specific for the artwork um, where I knew that my style was all wrong. Um, but also like I kind of was thinking, well, man, like I know all these great people, but like, um, so it actually was kind of a process of me um, talking to the people on my circles on Google Plus and saying like, hey, I'm like, I'm looking for this kind of thing. And um, actually um, someone that I'd worked with previously said, well, I don't think that my style is actually all that different from what you're looking to do. Um, and she asked Julie asked to do like a test piece, but um, that was possible because I've worked with her before. In general, though, I mean, if you're if you're looking, um, I'd say the best thing to do is troll Tumblr, um, look for people whose style matches what you want to do, and contact them and just say, "Hey, I am working on a game about, you know, X. Uh, I'm looking for artists. Um, what are your rates and um, what is your availability like?" Um, I mean, I, speaking from the artist side of thing, like, no one's ever going to be offended if you contact them about possibly giving them money. Oh, yeah. Um, and even if their availability isn't great or they're maybe not as interested in your project, usually, like, I mean, something that I try to do that I know most other artists will do is say, well, maybe I'm not quite right for your project, but you should look into these other people who might be able to um, help you. Um, but, yeah, Tumblr's definitely a great place to start. Um, it's also fine, I find, at least for me, uh, I think most other artists, if you have a strict budget, especially if you're trying to develop a game where you don't have a lot of money to throw around, like you're trying to get a Kickstarter together, but you don't have savings to, to pull from, then being upfront with, this is the money I have, is there something you can do for me with this, might get you a better, you know, maybe you really wanted a full color, huge detailed piece, but what you can get is a headshot, but it's still a way that you can work with the artist. And most artists understand, I mean, most artists aren't making a lot of money themselves, so they understand budgetary concerns. So if you're able to be upfront with what you've got and work with the artist to get something that works for both of you, that can be an easier way to approach it than, or oh, another way to approach it from just what are your rates yeah. if you've got a very strict budget in mind. Um, I, uh, oh. I often find the what are your rates question to come long before I have enough information to give somebody yeah. my rates. So whether you're coming with a, you know, a budget uh, where you're like, hey, I've got uh, you know five hundred dollars, and I've got a hundred and ten page six by nine book. What can we put together art wise to make this book come to life? Mm -hmm. um, or whether you're coming and saying, I need a you know a full eight and a half by eleven full bleed full color epic landscape action shot cover. Uh, 
what are your rates? Those are like two different questions. If you're somewhere in the middle, I'm going to be sort of asking you whether like you've got something in mind or if you've got a fixed budget. And then that's just a little extra emailing we'll go through. Yeah. But yeah, if you if you know where you stand on that scale, then uh, you get you get better answers. So are you, is is Tumblr a website that brings artists? Is like a marketplace. It's a blogging platform. Okay. Um, it does tend to attract a very creative crowd. It's very image heavy, uh, so you'll find a lot of people have their own personal Tumblr where they will be sharing their process work and finished art. Mm -hmm. um, now, in part with uh, Tumblr, you mentioned Tumblr. Are there any other platforms that you find is uh, very um, useful for showcasing your work? Um, Instagram. I um, Deviant Art. Yeah. Yeah, it's a little yeah. hit or miss. Um, I yeah. actually. Yeah, that's. I think that's the problem um, that I've encountered. Uh, my portfolio is primarily on Behance, and mm -hmm. um, it's it's like people appreciate it, but I don't think anything's ever led to work. You know what I mean? Um, and um, again, with uh, Deviant Art, it's, it seems to be very hit or miss. Um, I list personal. I do a lot of personal commissions for drawing someone's character or drawing a portrait, um, and I list those on Etsy. Yeah. Which um, I, I mean, again, I, it works for me because I also list completed artwork there. I sell posters and cards and prints. Okay. But for me, I've gotten a lot of work through um, listing that, and connect, not so much um, illustration work like tabletop illustration work. Uh, but the other thing is, if you're looking for work, then connecting to um, sort of tabletop development communities mm -hmm. like um, the last That's a big one yeah, yeah the last tabletop um, illustration thing I got was because I was on um, sort of a connected community for certain types of people interested in certain types of game development mm -hmm. and someone put out a call saying this is this game I've got up um, I'm looking for stretch goal contributors and I was able to say well my style is a very good fit for this game you're putting out so here are my rates what was the uh, community sorry um, is that too personal yeah, that was uh, it. Was a, a community for women and non-binary game designers run through Google Plus. Uh, I just wanted to ask about the room. How many people here are artists? Just a couple. How many people here are interested in sort of hiring artists or having art for a project? Okay. All right. So we next. And you're not interested in anything. No, I'm <laughs> uh, looking for a seat. The reason I'm coming is because I'm a designer, but I'm not the typical designer. I don't. I don't do visual arts. I create things like uh, instructional sets okay. for companies, and I try to humanize instruction sets. And of course, all games have instruction sets. Sure. So I'm kind of wondering how, because I wouldn't actually be designing any of these things, but I would be leaning on both sides, who's creating the rules and who's creating the art. Great. I want to okay. do it in between. All right. It sounds like we've got a bit of both sides of the table here. Great. So that's great. Um, for, I mean, if you're coming at it from a development side or from an artist side specifically for you, um, Google Plus is uh, a really great place to be in terms of uh, connecting with people who are doing independent uh, developing work. Um, and that's been a lot of how I've gotten my own um, commissions has been being part of that community. Um and, and, you know, from the publishing side of things, it's it's definitely a lot easier if you can just be like, hey, Plusians, tell me about who you're working <laughs> with right now. Yeah. And um, recommend someone get that word of mouth passed around. Um, something we were talking about beforehand uh, is um, part of that, too, is, um, you know, it's, it's maybe not the greatest in terms of making the industry more insular, but um, when you're, like, running a project where... I mean, we all have day jobs, right? This is none of us get to do this full time. Um, 
word of mouth is very important because um, you don't want to work with someone who's going to kill your whole schedule by like not doing anything for six months. Um, that's happened to me. So um, definitely being um, connected to a community where people feel like, oh, well, I know that guy, and 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 they'll feel more comfortable like recommending you or, or yeah. Um, and in terms of um, like finding artists and what to what do you say to an artist when you're you're trying to find you want art for your project what do you where do you start with an artist we kind of covered price and a little bit about cover of finding someone um often there's some confusion i find when i'm getting clients of like what do i tell an artist what do they need uh and uh i think it does vary from artist to artist exactly what they need but usually if you're nervous about it if you're, you're nervous about approaching an artist because you're like oh I'm, I'm an amateur i've never done this before like i don't even know where to start um, I guarantee that probably about 50% of the artist's other clients are in the same position. Yeah. So asking questions is totally fine. And like you were saying, if you get a, an email from someone that's just like, hi, I want art, what's your rates? We're going to start a conversation. Uh, you're going to start a conversation, and you're, they're going to ask you the information they need to know before they can give you a price. So things like, you know, how big does it need to be, especially if they're working traditionally, how many characters are going to be involved? What sort of level of complexity do you want for the background? When do you want it for? What do you want it for? Because a lot of artists will um, be changing the rates based on commercial use. If you're going to be allowing the artist to make their own prints of the art, or if it's something that you want to preserve just for your book, mm-hmm. that's a different thing. There's a lot of parameters to how we're going to price art and time our work. Um, but that's not something that a client necessarily needs to know right away because the artist is generally going to be involved in walking them through it. Yeah. And unless your artist is totally new as well, totally new as well, then it, and or kind of like uptight and like I don't know really overbooked, so they don't need to be nice to people. Mm-hmm. But um, most artists should be like in this industry, to, you need to be nice yeah. to people. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's not an option. Yeah. And if you are a person who thinks you don't have to, you probably won't be in, the, in this specific industry yeah. for very long. Oh, yeah. Um, and generally, most artists will begin with sending some form of sketch or very, very rough work to a client. So if you're nervous, like, I, I think I've gotten a, a, across what I need, but I'm not really sure, is the visual going to match anything like what's in my head? Uh, usually the process involves a lot of back and we're, we're hoping to do a slideshow, but there's not exactly a <laughs> slideshow materials here. There's usually a very back and forth iterative process mm-hmm. where you're going to get to see the beginnings of your work taking the the artwork taking place before you have to say like finalize this is it go on to the full thing um, and usually a chance to do a sort of back and forth and uh, oh you've got sketches yeah I brought my sketchbook so you know imagining that none of this is that these are sort of the size of the sketches that I send out to my clients to be like, this is what I'm thinking. You've got a door in the middle and there's some smoke and what do you think? I'll take it to final. And then they have the opportunity to give me feedback. So you're not locked in. And I'll often send like three options. So they'll be like, hey, I know we said we wanted, you know, spacesuits and some smoke and a long hallway, but what do you think about this angle? Or if we did it over here and we had a suit in the foreground or we do it from the door and we're looking down this long hallway. So the client isn't trapped as soon as they've said, yes, we'll hire you. There's a negotiation process in terms of what the art is going to look like. And depending on the client I work with, that process could be a check-in just at the thumbnail, or it could be at every stage along the way, especially for somebody who's working with something where the details are really specific and they want to be able to catch it before I say ink it or paint it. So, How open are you as artists to uh, the client saying, hey, I want to have this kind of process. I want to see, see those thumbnails, or I want to make sure that I can check in and 
I'm generally very. Yeah. I don't, my, I guess my process is I, I will automatically check in with the client at every step of the way. So I do, I do a very cartoony, comic-y style, um, like um, very simplified gold lines, and I work mostly on the computer. So I do a rough sketch, especially if it's a complicated composition, and then I do a, like a solid sketch that's a lot more clear, and then I do line work and flats and, and shading, and I'll check in with the client at every step of the way. Um, so it's, I usually try and sort of give as much feedback as possible, or allow for as much feedback as possible. Um, but one thing I do like to hear from clients is I have had clients who don't really want to give that much feedback. They just kind of want artists to go at it. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm happy to do that as well, but uh, it, it's very helpful to hear what the, the client wants out of the process. If I'm not... Sorry, go ahead. Well, I was going to say that the times I've had it done, which I usually watch just because it's kind of hypnotic, but I've watched like over something like Picardo or whatever just kind of like a screen sharing type deal and usually there's conversations that happens like just it's kind of like getting thumbnails but like you can actually watch as things go on and it'll be like well how do you like this shading or you know some variation but you know I just usually watch because it's fun yeah I've been actually just starting to experiment with recording my stuff Um, I think that would be it would be difficult to do that for especially for a longer project like I was trying to complete 15 illustrations I don't think I'd want us to to do that for the whole thing especially for our scheduling yes but yeah yeah, it's really cool for that and um, I am starting to post um, to YouTube like sort of process work for illustrations I've already completed yeah so people can kind of get a feel for what it looks like at every step I have a friend on uh, Google Plus uh, I I'm going to screw up her name, uh, Sandy Jacobs Tall. Um, uh, and she started doing something interesting that I really like, uh, where she'll just be like, I'm going to knock out a couple hours of illustration tonight, like on a hangout. Like, who wants to log on to a hangout with me and <coughs> maybe just yeah. watch, or maybe we can, like, you can work on your own stuff. And, and that's been something really cool that she's been doing. Um, that's, like, kind of a way of, um, if you want to see her process you can or even just be like make it kind of a communal thing yeah I definitely feel hampered by uh, NDAs non-disclosure agreements Mm -hmm. in terms of being able to share a lot of my illustration work that way yeah Um, just in terms of some of the clients I have very very firm (laughs) about that stuff others are more open to it Um, so that's been a process I was able on uh, Will Heinmarch's Project Dark able to share some of my process work on that so that was really nice if as a, somebody requesting art, I don't really have any confidence in my visual like sense, my ability to describe what I want. But I know that there's a thing I want, I just don't have the language. How? What's a good way to in, engage with you as an artist? Um, honestly, like, so I, I feel like a lot of people, especially first-time commissioning artists, they kind of get hung up on, well, I don't... I don't have a visual sense, so I don't know how to describe it. Um, really, like, don't just describe what you're looking for. I want, I want these types of characters in this type of setting, and here's what I want them to be doing. And let us worry about what the visuals are going to look like. It's actually more stressful when you work with people who have a bit of an artistic background, and then they start dictating like certain angles, like. Yeah. Um, my uh, co-creator in a non-games project, Princess Charming, uh, um, my co-creator, Josh Roby, I, I love him to death, but his art specs are a nightmare. <laughs> one of the ones that he gave me was literally like, 
Uh, I want a princess rappelling down a tower on a rope made of bed sheets, and she's wearing a ball gown, and her father is standing on the castle wall yelling at her. And then, like, in the courtyard, you can see the ball that she's trying to go to, and people are dancing. And I literally had to be like, you need to draw the perspective that you have in mind for this. And, he, and to his credit, he did. Like, he died. But I was like, I can't, I can't make heads or t- like. Yeah, that is actually a lot more stressful than my friend calls those Where's Waldo illustrations. <laughs> um, yeah, definitely. Just you know, if you're coming at it uh, sort of fresh, like there's a few ways to sort of communicate clearly with an artist, and having that checklist of like, I really need this illustration to show people the main character. I need this illustration to show people a really cool building. I need this illustration to show people some magic, right? Like, know know where your priorities are. Um, and then if you're doing something that's like, this is going to be a, you know, a medieval Germany, uh, in a rural farm village, then tell me that. But if, uh, if you have a hundred things you want in an illustration, you probably want more than one illustration. I had, oh, can I that's, try yeah, to this one? Yeah. I had two, um, they weren't actually clients. They were just friends I was drawing for, for fun many years ago. And I would get descriptions from both of them. And one would give me very detailed outfit illustrations. And to her credit, she was like pretty good at drawing out outfits, but was not an artist herself, so sometimes they didn't make as much sense. Um, and the other was primarily a writer, and would give me sort of a one-paragraph description, mostly about the character's personality, and then a few sort of hints as to the style or theme of the kind of appearance that I would be looking for. And I usually produce stronger illustrations, getting the the personality and the emotions and the the sort of theme. Um, like I had a um, one of the things they they gave me was a um, um, a robot character who um, took inspiration from a Gothic cathedral, and didn't give me any more details to what that was exactly supposed to look like. But it gave me it was very evocative um, for what kind of things that character should feel like. And I was able to take that and very little other information, just written as, as you would for, as a, sort of describing a character in a novel, and produce something that we were both very happy with at the end of it. Like, our, our job is parsing writing, so do what you're good at, and we are the experts at parsing it into an illustration. <coughs> right. uh, gentlemen, yeah. back. I was actually just going to say, I mean, my day job is actually technical writing, so I have illustrators working for me. And, you know, you get a sense, like, number one, you pick an illustrator because you like that particular style or things that they do. I mean, that's half of the battle right there in the description you've given them is by picking the style. But after a few of them, your illustrator or your your artist should be fairly familiar with what you want. Like, you know, you kind of build a relationship. But, I mean, you are still hiring an artist. You're you're going for some artistic license. I mean... how does uh, I think that's come up a couple times? Uh, is Kickstarter? <laughs> um, now I know I'm onto something. So talk to us about Kickstarter. How does uh, that influence things? Kickstarters are hungry, angry babies that eat your life. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. Tell us how you really feel. No matter how many of them you've run, I'm on my fourth, and it doesn't ever get any easier. Um, but that said. Um, and, uh, sorry, I just wanted to ask, as running, do you mean as, like, the initiator, the person who's committed to making the thing? Yeah. Or as, okay, yeah, as opposed if you're, to an artist contributing? Um, well, I'm happy depends. to chime in on as well. Yeah, I mean, it, I mean, even even if you're just a contributing artist, I mean, I'm like, sorry. I've I've run a project where 
Um, I mean, like I mentioned, the, the Princess Charming one that I did, I was um, not the person running the Kickstarter, I was, but I was still a 50-50 partner, which meant okay. that it, it still ate my life. Um, that said, I'm actually a huge fan of Kickstarter because um, it has really democratized um, game creation and content creation. Mm-hmm. When I first started publishing, um, my first game I published Thank was actually so 2008. Um, and um, the economics of game publishing at that point were um, you had to be someone who was privileged enough to be able to sink in a lot of money uh, developing a game and there was no guarantee you would make it back. So I shoestringed my first game by doing everything myself. Layout, art, uh, writing. Uh, I got my husband to edit the book. Um, thankfully he's a very good editor. Uh, but And it still cost me like $500. Um, and that was money that I didn't make back for about a year. So um, Kickstarter is really great because it lets... I mean, you still have to have you'd be privileged enough to, to like I, I am going to like set aside I, I, like I'm just going to know that this is going to eat a month of my life right. and then you have to do all the planning that goes into that but it really has lowered the barrier for people who want to make games <coughs> to a professional level of quality um, because you can do things like well I really want to work with this artist but like I have to pay them so uh, hey Kickstarter give me money like that's that's Right, that's like a lot of what I'm doing with my current game right now. Is I I, I want to pay uh, Claudia what she's worth to make the art for my game. So is that's, that Kickstarter running right now? It is actually. It's, and the uh, game is called. It's called The Watch. The Watch. So if you if you Google The Watch RPG, it's the Kickstarter is either the first or second result that comes up. Um, just I'm just mentioning it. Yeah. No, thank you. Uh, I wouldn't have mentioned that before, but. Um, so yeah, I'm, like as much as like as a as a publisher, it's incredibly stressful. Um, but in terms of like, <coughs> I think it's been great for publishing as an industry in terms of really seeing a lot of cool, diverse stuff that we wouldn't have seen otherwise. Does the process of Kickstarter does it change the art acquisition process in any way? Yes. <laughs> So I've had the good luck to be the artist on things where the Kickstarters have hit hundreds of stretch goals and suddenly my next four months are booked with art and it's exciting. And I've been the artist on Kickstarters where the Kickstarters have bombed and the next four months of my life are suddenly vacant. Um, <laughs> it is a little bit more of a roller coaster as an artist, uh, but the important thing, if you're like, I'm going to do a Kickstarter, I need you know, a piece of art to sell a Kickstarter, be prepared to pay for that piece up front. And don't commission anything else until you have money in your pocket. It's less stress, less resentment, less uh, less of a roller coaster for everybody else involved. And the other thing is, like, if you're not commissioning the art ahead of the Kickstarter because you can't pay for it ahead of the Kickstarter, don't promise the delivery of the book uh, without factoring in the time it's going to take to both commission and make that art. Yeah, and artists generally can't hold a place for you not in a, unless yeah. I mean unless the artist happens to be very free but yeah not um, for a big project yeah if you're going to be if you're expecting 16 illustrations if the the kickstarter goes through then expect that in the time while you're the month while you're running your kickstarter the artist is probably filled up with two or three other commissions in the road in the middle so you're going to be waiting again on the other end yeah um with possible exceptions of if you have a Kickstarter from, say, a really established company. Yeah, there's certainly companies like Onyx Path where they know every Kickstarter is going to do very well. But 
they also pay for all of the art ahead of time. Right. Mm-hmm. So again, if you have that capital or if you have that buffer and you want to buy all the art before you kickstart, that's fine, but be prepared mm-hmm. to pay for that art upon delivery or, you know, in terms of, you know, payment schedules defined by the artist and you together as opposed mm-hmm. to the if my Kickstarter succeeds schedule, which a working artist can't really take on that risk the way that you can as the publisher. Oh, or if, I was going to... Um, if you are asking a kick, um, an artist to take on that risk of like work with me on this Kickstarter and um, if it succeeds I'll give you lots of work but you have to hold the stop for me be prepared that you're probably going to get a no from that from an experienced artist with a lot of other possible work and if you're going to ask that of a less experienced artist who's got the time you should really be profit sharing to an extent with your artist because they're taking that risk with you they've basically become a partner in your creative endeavor yeah um, so, you know, back when I was getting started and I really didn't have a lot of commissions on my plate, I was willing to do that kind of flexible, I'll kind of hold with you and take on some of the risk you're doing as an, as a, an independent creative person who doesn't have a lot of money. But in exchange, I expected a bit more reward to come my way, like higher than my usual rates or, you know, getting a bonus if the Kickstarter was doing particularly well because I was I was shouldering some of the risk by having to potentially turn down other work that was happening in the middle yeah. based on whether or not your Kickstarter succeeded. Um, so you're prepared to, to get a no from a more established artist who just wants solid, reliable work, but if you are asking an artist of that, be prepared to be offering them something in exchange because that they are taking a risk for you if they're holding their schedule open. And this is new to Kickstarter, like this whole dilemma, which is it's really exciting as an artist because a lot of people who are making games that are more varied, more interesting, more diverse, are doing it via Kickstarter, and so we get to make art for those games, and it, we love it. And so we're very excited about that, but we also have to pay rent. Um, and not everybody in this industry does what they do full-time, but everybody in this industry deserves to get paid for their time. So The, the other thing is, um, so something that we actually did with Claudia and um, we're going to be working with Julia Barbano um, for layout is we actually kind of scheduled our Kickstarter around them. Um, so when we were planning our Kickstarter dates, um, we were like, uh, hey, we're going to be running this at the beginning of 2017. Um, when, like, in terms of, like, your availability, like, when is a good time for you? Um, like, if our you know, so like how much time do you need? And then kind of backing up the dates around that to make sure. So, I mean, I, Claudia is working on other stuff right now and, and that's cool. But like, she also like didn't drop everything, but also she knows that she's going to get a variable workload from us. Like when the Kickstarter completes. And so like, she's also been able to plan that. And so like, I, I feel like that's a good compromise in terms of, um, you know, because, yeah, Kickstarter does make things unpredictable. Like, I have a stretch goal where if it funds, like, Claudia is getting 20 more pieces that she's doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really hope it happens, but... And flexibility around your artist is another way to offer your artist more value that you can offer them as an exchange for them, you know, holding spots for you or otherwise working around you. Like, as an artist, when I get a project that's, you know, I want this from you, but it can be any time in the next eight months... That's it's not paying me more money, but it's allowing me to slot that around other projects that I have, both as an artist and as all the other things I do in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, so that can be a great... If you're not set on finishing something for X date, you're willing to be flexible around an artist, that could be a great way to 
offer them something more that's not necessarily going to cost you more, but it's going to, in the end, allow your artist to make more money. Right. There was a question over here. Um, so, would you still do a Kickstarter if, if it wasn't for the funding? Like, is the, is the marketing benefits worth it too, or is it just about mitigating the risk? In my experience, the marketing benefits can't be understated. Um, but I've been doing the Kickstarters I do are in the comics scene, so it certainly can have a different uh, tone or feel to it. But for me, the uh, the boost from a Kickstarter I did in terms of like Twitter followers, people on my mailing list, people who just Googled, you know, new Kickstarters today and found my project and, you know, whether or not they bought, they now know who I am and have some idea of what I do. That was incredible and has changed the dynamic of how I work since the Kickstarter in a way I didn't expect. Um, but, uh, but Kickstarters are also becoming maybe a little less discoverable as Kickstarter gets bigger. A little bit less of that yeah. that enthusiasm. <coughs> so, speaking as someone who's in the last semester of a marketing program currently, uh, there are a lot of evil marketing psychology benefits to Kickstarter <laughs> beyond just mitigating your risk. Um, stretch goals. There's a reason why everyone does them. It makes you more money. Um, it, it does drag people along. They get real pumped. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and there there are things that. Um, there are certain reward types that you see that are common across a lot of game development uh, like uh, Kickstarters uh, because people will throw money at them and like as a developer you think that's silly why are people throwing money at this but um, they do they're getting value out of it they They encourage their friends to put money into it yeah Yeah. Uh, one of the things that I actually stole from Paul Riddle's Undying Kickstarter was we were like um, Paul actually sold the likenesses to the character archetypes in Undying, and people paid for it. And I was like, I don't understand why they paid that much money for it, but sure, let's do that. And we've got someone who was willing to throw a lot of money at it. So um, in terms of building a vehicle for people to throw more money than you think your thing is worth at you is great. Um, Yeah, Kickstarters definitely attract that sort of... uh someone who's got that collector mentality or they see themselves not just as someone buying a book, but someone considers themselves a patron of the arts. Yeah. And so they're going to buy the special book. They're going to buy the add-ons. They're going to go down and find the highest tier and just hit yes. So make that tier high. <laughs> Real high. Yeah. Um, I was going to say, I, I've also only run, I've only run one Kickstarter and it was also in the comics area. And I was going into it because I could fund a small run but I couldn't necessarily fund a larger run, and I also didn't know what kind of size of run I should be running at all. Uh, I was going from a webcomic, so I had a readership, but I didn't know how many of them were willing to put money into this. I didn't know how many of them could put money into this. And so for me, it was also a great way to take my project and figure out how big am I supposed to be making this. Mm. Test the market. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard people kind of refer to Kickstarter as, oh, it's becoming a pre-order engine, and they've said that pejoratively, but as a creator, like, I, that is one of the most useful parts of how, like, it's being used a lot now. And there's not really another totally above-board way to take money for pre-orders yeah. online. You can't do it no. for that timeline via PayPal. And pre-orders help both the, the, the people selling the product because it means they're not stuck with a warehouse of whatever, uh, and it also helps the consumer because if suddenly there's more demand than people thought, 
A, you won't run out, and B, you usually get either more value for your money or um, you pay less money because bulk, ordering things in bulk is always cheap. I want to, unless, is there any questions on Kickstarter? I was going to swim around Kickstarter. Go into the Kickstarter. What, what did you have? It was before. It was another conversation. You guys weren't really happy. I was going to move on to the... Well, I had a question on the book. When it comes to like the art side of projects, board games, and all that kind of stuff, um, approximately how much percent should be, I guess, finished when you start the campaign? Because um, that's one thing I am not planning one, but in the future when I want to start, I want to know exactly how much art I should Again, I guess based on what we were saying before, that's going to depend on how fast you want to get it out. Yeah, like what what timeline you're promising your backers. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. Um, honestly, like I feel like it just depends on what can you afford to commission going into it. Um, because you need you need to pay the artist who's doing. Um, but like for the game that we're developing, I mean, even if you if you're op- upfront with your backers about saying like part of the reason I'm running this is because I need to commission all the art. So the lead time on this is going to be longer. If you're upfront about that, and people will be fine, um, you know, if that's the buy-in and you're communicative about the art process. And you can even make it part of the deal where you say, like, I'm going to, part of part of the process is I'm going to be showing you, like, art updates as they happen, like the in-progress stuff. Mm-hmm. And, and that can be even kind of a selling point, making your backers um, involved in that. Um but like the Kickstarter that I'm running right now, we only commissioned two pieces and we sliced them up in different ways for like our, our assets for the actual page. But like it was literally just the two illustrations and the rest of it's going to happen after the Kickstarter. Um, I, I would say it's very useful to have at least a couple of illustrations like you've got for yours. Um, yeah, ours were pretty complicated, so we were able to kind of slice them up in different yeah. ways. It also gives you a chance to work with your artist beforehand and make sure the two of you are... Working together, yeah. Um, and I mean, I do think that you have to give people a taste of the visuals they're going to get. Uh, in terms of RPG books, people expect, if not like you know D and D style, right? They're expecting some sort of art presence in the book, and so you need to be upfront with them when you're selling them something about what you're looking for. And even if that means you've got you know one artist and you're going to have four, you know, just giving them a sample, it sets the mood of the project. It sets the tone of the, the 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 book for the people buying it, and it is much easier to get people to look at a shiny Kickstarter with some art on it than a block of text. Mm-hmm. Well, going into our last uh, ten minutes, I wanted to kind of segue out of that, and because uh, you're talking about like the different kinds of art that we've seen, and you know, uh, Dungeons and Dragons alone, the art has evolved so much over the oh god, has it been forty five years? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, can you talk a little bit about uh, what is the role, or what role can art play in sort of defining a game? What could I get out of art if I was thoughtful in the way I commissioned it? So much. So much. Talk, just talk to us a little bit um, about what that could be. So I was on a, um, I was lucky enough to be on a world-building panel um, as a um, one of the featured presenters at Gen Con um, this past year with uh, Wes Schneider, um, who's the co-creator of Pathfinder. Um, and he said some really great stuff about how, um, like, being inclusive in your art direction in terms of portraying diversity um, of gender and 
of ability and of ethnicity and um, just not like heroic white dudes um, is not just great from a like it's being a responsible artist angle but it's also great from a filthy capitalism point of view uh, because there are so many people who aren't white dudes who are tired of not being reflected in games and they will throw literally all the money at anything that reflects them as a person um, I've definitely had people tell me they can pick up a book and look at it in like 10 seconds of looking at the art they're like is it or is it not for me and I think a lot of that is who you have in the art what the tone of the art is you know what the you know what the movie rating of the art is. Like, is yes. this is this right. a is this a, a double X rated book? Is this a PG thirteen <coughs> book? What kind of play do you want to have? The art's going to tell you that. Oh yeah, instantly. And um, yeah, I mean, in in tabletop or like most of this kind of industry, like usually the art in the book is going to be the only visual part of the story you're going to have, uh, and just like I mean. You can't judge a book by its cover, but everyone does, anyways. Um, people are going to make are going to make their preconceptions of what kinds of games and stories you're going to run by what illustrations you're seeing in the book. Yeah. And the difference between like your art style is very like um, it's got like a lot of texture to it. It's a little bit rough, and it's got that like got a very real feel to it, uh, while still being a little bit cartoony. But if I can sure praise your art style, Gosh. I really like your art a lot. Thank you. Um, Whereas I do something very, very simplified, more like a Saturday morning cartoon. Um, and I've seen your artwork, and it's, again, still a little bit different. Mm-hmm. And there's a billion other artists out there. And, yeah, you're definitely going to set the tone for your entire game with not just the style you're using, but also what you choose to portray. Because yeah. if you're setting a game about... If your game is about everyone, but the only people portrayed in the, story, in the, the illustrations are heroic white dudes then your game isn't really going to be as about everyone as your text says because everyone's going to get their preconceptions about what the game is about based on flipping through your illustrations. I think one of the things that uh, a lot of people who aren't commissioning or working as artists, uh, they don't think about how much information you get from a picture. Um, But when you have a cover on your book and it's you know it's got a you know a nicely a nice mix of people on it and it's got them in the bottom left and there's a big thing on the top right and those people are threatened by this composition and we read it that way very subconsciously so the art has a way to you can have very literal things like actual physical representation and then you can have them in powerful or disempowered places on the composition you can have them spotlighted or backgrounded um, but then you can also have like samples of what kind of action or storytelling there's going to be and that comes down to things like lighting and texture complexity of the image body language of the figures in the image Um, and you can communicate huge amounts of information so you you do want to make sure that you're thinking about a lot of that stuff when you when you go into thinking about what artist you want in your game what kind of art you're thinking of so if you're making a game that isn't D&D, you probably actually don't want art that looks like D&D. Even though that art is absolutely gorgeous, mm-hmm. it's selling that. And your game is going to be something special and different, and you need to find the art that's going to communicate the depth of your game and give people as much information as possible about it. Um, the other thing that's important to consider is, um, since it seems like most people are approaching this from the hiring art kind of angle of things, um, 
when you're the person who is hiring the art, it's important to keep an eye on like what is happening with the aggregate of like all the pieces that you're commissioning, especially if you're commissioning a large number of pieces because the artist is really kind of working with each individual spec, um, but you might end up with trends that you don't intend over the body of work. So, um, Especially if you have multiple artists. Something that I, I blogged about um, on my blog, uh, Go Make Me a Sandwich, was um, actually uh, Paul Riddle contacted me um, while like he was in the process of commissioning art for Undying, um, because he'd read some of the stuff that I'd done about um, the lack of representation of women in RPG art and took a look at the art that he commissioned and was like, women are slightly less than 40% of the stuff that I paid for. And also there's some really unfortunate, like, there was some stuff that he just hadn't spotted until he actually went and was <coughs> looking at the... Everything together. Every like he's like we, there are monstrous men, but there are literally no monstrous women, and there are no naked men, but there are naked women, and you know what's fine in one individual piece when you look at a group of images suddenly becomes not great. And so he actually contacted me and was like, "So I have this amount of money to commission extra art. What would get me the most bang for my buck in terms of like fixing this thing that happened by accident?" And um, so that's something to keep in mind when you're the person who's hiring the art because it's your job to keep an eye on the big picture, whereas it's your artist's job to consider, I have this spec for this piece and this spec for this piece and this spec for this piece. And some artists um, who are used to operating more on that level like will maybe be able to like, oh, maybe this is kind of a trend that's happening, but, but even then, like you can't really... Yeah, and I think a lot of us have, uh, you know, as people in this industry, base assumptions, uh, gut instincts, really uh, back-of-the-brain solutions to things. And especially as an artist, you might be working for less money than you can, uh, you know, than, than is necessarily totally sustainable. So you're trying to work fast, and you're trying to be quick. And then as the person commissioning the art, you might also be doing that around a day job or, you know, five other projects. And so... There isn't always that moment of reflection where you look back on the stack and go, "Yes, I've done a I've done a nice job of making sure that this is exactly accurate." But both of you need to be collaborating on that goal, and it's not just like, "Oh, I have to be a good person." It's like I have to make sure that I'm saying what I want to say. And if your game is for kids, a chainmail bikini isn't saying that. And if your game is for uh, if your game is a horror game that's going to be empowering women, then you want to make sure that the horror tropes you're bringing in are foregrounding that theme of your game. Or if you've claimed your game is about social stuff as much as fighting, as fighting, but all of your illustrations are fighting. And that's a really easy one, because guess what's really exciting to draw? Yeah. Uh, Sweet action scenes. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, yeah, it's almost like an editing process. It for, is. Because your reader, your reader, your... your person picking up the book is going to be seeing all of these illustrations probably fairly quickly as they flip through at first because who doesn't like look through for the pretty pictures mm -hmm. in the first five minutes of owning a book um so yeah definitely taking a look at what that first view is going to say is something that's often missed i think yeah. and and unfortunately in the process of making art you might not be bringing all the pieces up at the same time so you could be on piece eight of ten and realize as the artist that you have only drawn action scenes 
um, or you haven't drawn any monstrous women and you have you know two pieces left with specific specs that you need to f- fix this problem with um, mm-hmm. or you need to negotiate with the client and see how important it is to them. So we're just spending time there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, is there any last thoughts from the panel on commissioning art for games? If you've got any questions, ask us. Yeah. Um, artists are really happy to answer those kinds of questions. So if you're nervous, of, and we like it when people commission art because it helps pay our rent. It's wonderful. Uh, Please keep doing it. So if you are nervous about asking about um, commissioning art, find an artist you're interested in or find one of us after this panel or whenever. And... Again, 99% of artists are going to be super friendly and really interested in showing you what the process is like, as opposed to being like, you know, oh, well, you don't know the rules, so yeah, no art for you. Yeah, last 1%, though, they will kill you. So. Yeah. But, <laughs> <laughs> choose wisely. Yeah, one of us is a spider. But um, do you want to share our Twitter accounts or anything? Uh, sure. Um, I mean, if anyone uh, wants to get my contact information, I, I have my card with me. I've got cards as um, well. Yeah. But also, generally, like uh, Google Plus is a really great place to connect with people who are talking actively about the process of tabletop development. Um, some people are uh, less public than others, but there's also some like um, good communities. Like I know the Gauntlet actually has a super active like. Um, more play-focused community, but there's a lot of people who participate there who are also doing um, game development, and you can use that to kind of connect with people there. Um, but yeah, but both for artists and publishers, I would say that being part of community will always make your work better. Yeah, and get out there and meet people. Thanks very much. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks.